Today, I'm announcing my plan for a clean energy revolution. Today, Joe Biden announced his climate plan and embraces a Green New Deal framework. So we've talked on this show about how the climate plan that President Joe Biden ran on was shaped in many ways by the Green New Deal, even if it didn't go quite as far or as fast. We talked about how Green New Deal champions like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Varshney Prakash helped rewrite that plan. We saw, you know, a commitment to move up the timeline around decarbonization of the power sector from 2050 to 2035. We saw them set a goal of achieving net zero new buildings by 2030. And how Biden promised to make actually passing that plan a key priority. Here's Biden aide David Keeve from season one, episode six. Our jobs and economic recovery plan is our plan to address climate change and vice versa. This is absolute must-pass legislation. In this episode, we want to catch you up on where we are now on seeing that plan actually implemented. And in case you weren't already aware, it's not the best place. If I can't go home and explain it to the people of West Virginia, I can't vote for it. And I cannot vote to continue with this piece of legislation. I just can't. I've tried everything humanly possible. I can't get there. I'm Sam Eilerson, and this is Generation Green New Deal. So after Biden took office, he started to assemble key elements of his climate and economic plans into a piece of legislation, a bill called the Build Back Better Act. President Biden's Build Back Better plan is made up of all kinds of measures aimed at improving the country's infrastructure and inequalities. But of course, legislation has to pass Congress, and that means 50 senators need to vote for it. And that's where Biden ran into a major roadblock. This is a no on this legislation. I have tried everything I know to do. So throughout the long and tiring saga of this bill, I've been checking in every month or so with Lauren Manis. Lauren is 24 and she works for the Sunrise Movement on Capitol Hill. So yeah, want to tell me a little bit about like what day-to-day being the advocacy director means. I think you're one of a few people I know who's a registered lobbyist. Yeah, great. Tell everyone that. Love, <laughs> love the visibility. So... My name is Lauren Monis. I use she, her pronouns, and I am Sunrise Movement's advocacy director. I've been holding this role for about two and a half years. Time all blurs together. And it's changed a lot being in a moment of a trifecta governance, having the House, Senate, and the White House. And I think the basic premise of how do we translate all the people power we're building and the political power of electing people into office and, you know, continuing to kind of threaten to vote people out if they do not uphold the mandate of fighting for our generation? And how do we translate all of that into actual policy wins through legislative action and executive action? I see myself kind of as a conduit for the movement, making sure that our voices actually reach Um, decision makers and their staff and all of that. And I feel really grateful because I basically just get to organize Congress like as an institution. Because at my core, I really believe in organizing. I love organizing. I love building power um, and bringing people together and kind of shaking shit up and disrupting the status quo. And that's what I kind of get to do seeing Congress as an institution to be organized. 
So first of all, here's Lauren's take on where we're at right now. Well, Build Back Better still, just to be grounded in kind of the stakes of what we're talking about here, it's a very significant piece of climate legislation that would radically decarbonize power sector and other sectors of our economy and be really the first piece of national climate legislation to do so from the U.S. And it stalled in the hands of a fossil fuel millionaire. Lauren's talking about Joe Manchin, Democratic senator from West Virginia. Now, West Virginia is a state that voted for Donald Trump over Biden by almost 40 points. So Manchin does have a clear political motive to be a thorn in Biden's side. But he also has other motives for choosing to oppose climate legislation in particular. As Lauren alluded to, Manchin is a millionaire and his money comes primarily from coal. Manchin is the founder of a coal company called Enersystems. His brother currently runs the company while Manchin supposedly doesn't involve himself in the business anymore, but he still owns a large share of the company, receiving over $5 million in dividends in the last decade. Manchin is also the largest recipient of campaign donations from the fossil fuel industry, receiving more than twice as much fossil fuel cash as any other senator this election cycle, according to Mother Jones. Manchin is also the largest recipient of campaign donations from the fossil fuel industry, receiving more than twice as much fossil fuel cash as any other senator this election cycle. And this money apparently comes with strings attached. This is how an Exxon lobbyist described Exxon's relationship with Manchin in an undercover video captured by Greenpeace UK. Joe Manchin, I talk to his office every week. Um, he is the kingmaker, uh, and, and he's not shy about sort of staking his claim early yeah. and completely changing the debate. A recent investigation by our friends at More Perfect Union also found that Manchin timed his statements in opposition to Build Back Better, not so coincidentally around meetings and events with his corporate donors. I think we weren't naive in discounting the fact that this could be a possibility. Sunrise has, you know, campaigned on forcing candidates uh, and uh, politicians to sign a no fossil fuel money pledge and say there's no way that you could actually write climate policy and be responsible for the transition to renewable energy and also be a recipient or profit off of fossil fuels yourself. And now, you know, the chair of energy, natural resources, also the 50th vote in the Senate <laughs> is one of the, the largest recipients of fossil fuel money and personally profits off of it. So in terms of grounding in the stakes of what we're talking about and how tremendously infuriating, but also expected this reality is, we still absolutely need to pass Build Back Better, both for, for the existential reality of the climate crisis and the day-to-day -day needs of really the vast majority of people in this country. would Build Back Better do for the climate? It has been significantly watered down in attempts to win Manchin's vote, but Lauren says it would still be a huge step towards addressing the climate crisis. So currently, despite Manchin's efforts to weaken 
provisions of Build Back Better and some really important climate provisions. There's still really important pieces like critical tax credits to expand renewable energy and especially access to renewable energy for um, low-income families. It's definitely not at the scale of what we need. It never was, not even the original proposal. And it's like much smaller now, but still would have a tremendous impact in laying the groundwork to to continue the trend towards renewable energy off of fossil fuels. And yeah, and it's hard to know like what's actually on Manchin's mind, but I think generally people are feeling pretty confident that that these elements of the climate policy are like pretty secure and would be very significant if passed. I also asked Lauren what else besides climate policy is important about Build Back Better. We have the chance to expand like labor law reform and like social programs that would ensure people, um, yeah, have like expanded healthcare coverage and childcare and actually proving that, you know, democratic leadership and the government like has our backs and can actually like serve its people and do its job. If Democrats don't pull this off, it's kind of like a very scary moment. We face a midterm election of extreme precarity, both the House and Senate. Democrats need to deliver on their promises. The margins are so slim that it's really, really scary to think that we could revert back to, you know, having fascist white supremacist GOP party like take over yet again in either chamber and leading up to 2024. So I think this moment is actually kind of that critical juncture of like, (laughs) are we going to have a fighting shot at stopping the climate crisis, uh, supporting working people, and maybe uh, be able to have a functioning or somewhat functioning democracy? Um, Or do we basically uh, give up that shot and, um, yeah, uh, let the GOP, um, like, return to power when Democrats have power right now and are not using it (laughs) to deliver on what they promised their voters. Yeah. Um, And in fact, I've seen some uh, indication from uh, Manchin himself, also from other from senators like Ed Markey, that the climate provisions are not the argument about the bill. It's other stuff like the child tax credit. Do you think we'll see a version of the Build Back Better plan being voted on and passing do you see potentially a a separate climate bill passing instead of the whole thing like or or is nothing going to happen at all what do you think (laughs) it is just truly a false choice to to choose between climate policy and all other social policy and economic policy because people simply don't live single issue lives because you know Every day that people need childcare is also a day that they need to breathe clean air. It's extremely incumbent on Democrats to realize that, you know, social welfare programs like expanding child tax credits, like expanding, you know, paid sick leave and access to, you know, Medicaid and dental insurance, all of these things were in Build Back Better for a reason. And so in this window of time, the last thing we should have to do is choose 
what type of popular policy we need to pass when it's a it's a corporate millionaire um, that is holding this up. So I don't know the exact direction that it will go, but this is kind of our role as a movement, our role as Sunrise, as young people, to keep screaming at Democrats who are in power right now, who we want to keep in power, who we worked so hard to get into power, to do their jobs and to hold these pieces together. Over the course of the past year, Sunrise and other activist groups have been doing everything they can to keep up the pressure. They've had kayak protests at Joe Manchin's yacht. Today, I might join a flotilla going to Manchin's houseboat. Um, They've been happening every day. Tried chasing him through a parking garage as he tried to speed away in his Maserati. Five Sunrise activists even went on hunger strike for two weeks. We are on the strike line outside the White House. Um, It's almost two weeks into the hunger strike now, and we're feeling a lot weaker physically. So I asked Lauren, what can any of us actually do about this? Who actually has the ability to push Manchin? Yeah, I mean, I think we've influenced Biden and everyone around Joe Manchin to the extent that he's really isolated. Every other Democrat, including Kirsten Sinema, which took a lot of work, but we've really moved everyone to a place of recognizing that like Democrats need to pass a bold, comprehensive economic recovery jobs climate package. And I think that took a lot of organizing and movement work and political work. I think now it's really like Joe Manchin standing alone on an island. Lauren says there's at least one person who could be doing more, Joe Biden. I think Joe Biden has influence over him as president of the United States. Is he using that influence to the extent that he should be? Absolutely not. I mean, he he could be playing hardball with him. The kind of mind-boggling situation of Manchin representing West Virginia is that the vast majority of West Virginians would just benefit tremendously from Build Back Better, from the economic programs and Build Back Better, from the jobs that would come from, you know, supporting a just transition and having a strong social safety net and actually be like protected in a just transition rather than be left behind. Important note on that. The United Mine Workers, the largest union representing coal miners in West Virginia, supports Build Back Better. But as in the days of old, the interests of the workers and those of the coal barons like Manchin do not align. Meanwhile, Lauren says Biden is absolutely not doing all he can to pass Build Back Better or to combat the climate crisis through executive action. Biden, there's so much on the table that he did commit to in the campaign that he has yet to do. It's really infuriating at a time when we need to be to meet his own climate goals, which are lower than you know what we actually need to be contributing to meet our historic contribution globally. In the last year of his presidency, emissions increased 6.2% rather than decreased the like 9% that we need to decrease every year in order to even meet his own climate goals. So I think that alone kind of 
says <laughs> the direction we're headed and really like lights a fire under sunrise to keep going and really, really not take a step back. Climate activists have condemned the Biden administration for proceeding with an auction of over 80 million acres in the Gulf of Mexico for oil and gas extraction. It's the largest ever sale of drilling leases in the Gulf and comes just days after the U.N. Global Climate Summit wrapped in Glasgow. An attorney at the Center for Biological Diversity said, quote, it's hard to imagine a more hypocritical and dangerous thing for the administration to do. It's incredibly reckless and we think unlawful, too. In fact, David Keeve, that Biden aide we heard from at the beginning of the episode, saying climate action would be must-pass legislation, he resigned last month, as did several other officials who've been working on climate and environmental policy. are you feeling personally right now? Like, how does, how does going to work every day feel right now? It's difficult. I think <laughs> everyone, when I came back from break, the like, you know, general pleasantry is like, oh, hope you feel so rested and restored. And I'm like, actually, over the course of this month, month and a half, like the world has only fallen into like more chaos and like mass death and, you know, lack of governance. Um, so yeah, and then it turned 2022, which obviously has like innate pressure to it of just being such a critical election year. So I'm feeling pretty overwhelmed. I really try to not be cynical because I think anytime we let cynicism take over, a lack of hope or a lack of vision that we can win a better world, um, that is when the opposition wins. And so... You know, I think I'm feeling the stakes, feeling quite sad and intimidated, but also trying to really ground myself in, you know, historical movements for change and also just think about like, okay, <laughs> there there is a broader progressive movement. There are local and state organizations doing incredible work everywhere. And all I can do is what my specific role is every day. And so I probably can't personally or as a movement be responsible for preventing, you know, the rise of global fascism. But I can try to <laughs> do what we talked about today, try to support electing some new Green New Deal champions, try to tell the Democratic establishment that they need to take us seriously try to continue pushing BBB towards getting over the finish line. I think I just try to take a breath and remember, like, I'm doing everything I can. But yeah, the, the stakes of what we're up against definitely affect me on a daily basis. And yeah, I, I feel really grateful to be in movement community. And that Sunrise has created created the space for people to be in community doing this work because it's really hard. And mm -hmm really scary. As of today, Manchin continues to refer to the Build Back Better Act as dead, although he has given some indication of being willing to revive some parts of it. And with a Supreme Court vacancy, a crisis in Ukraine, and looming elections, we've heard precious little from Biden about it lately. 
But before we say goodbye, I want to say that if you're feeling upset and even a little hopeless about the climate crisis right now, the best way to feel better is to take action. There are so many groups doing important work around this. There's Sunrise, of course. There's also the Build Back Fossil Free Coalition. There's Evergreen Action. There's 350.org and so many more. We'll put some links for ways to get involved in climate organizing in the show notes. I asked Lauren if there's a specific action folks can take to support the Build Back Better Act, and it turns out our friends at the Green New Deal Network have a great tool to easily call your senators to demand that they get this bill over the finish line. They'll give you your senators' numbers and a call script. It only takes a few minutes of your time. We'll put a direct link to that call tool in the show notes as well. Generation Green New Deal was created by me, Sam Eilertson, and Nate Birnbaum. This episode was produced by Takun Alam Films Incorporated and edited and mixed by Noah Foley-Bining. Huge thanks to Lauren Manas for chatting with me literally every month for the past six months. If you like this show, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash generationgnd. Thanks for listening.